He's kind of like the Joe Rogan of the hospitality industry right now. Uh, for me, uh, hospitality is really about feelings and experiences. So from my perspective, it's really leaving people uh, with a feeling that they want to share uh, with others because they've had such a great experience. For me, it's about, it's similar to Mike, it's about exceeding expectations. So whether you're delivering food or lodging or activities, experiences, true, true hospitality is not just about meeting the expectation of the guest, but it's about exceeding them. Welcome to Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast where we discuss all things hospitality, hotels, and business. You can find us online at slicktalkthepodcast.com and on every podcast listening platform. All right, everybody, welcome back to Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast. I'm your host, Will Slickers, and today we're actually doing a rare episode where I have two guests at the same time. So I'm going to introduce Emmanuel and Mike, who are the co-founders of Jetstream. How are you two doing today? Doing great. Thanks, Will. Good. Good. It's good to see you guys. Thanks. Thanks for having us. It's a great thing you're doing for the industry, Will. Thank you so much. I can say the same thing right back to you. So I'm excited to to geek out a little bit. We had a fun pre-chat. Um, uh, all the audience knows I love to have pre-chat with my guests to make sure, you know, this is a episode that we both are feeling comfortable and confident in. That this is a conversation that the industry can look forward to. And so I'm just really excited to jump in with you guys because I think you have a lot of value to bring. So I think we'll start with Emmanuel first on this one, but I just want to kind of have you uh, jump right into your story and then Mike, you guys can kind of wrap up on how you guys met and started to create this beautiful business and this, this journey that you guys are on now. Sure. All right. Well, I'm originally from Montreal, so I'm French Canadian. English is my second language. I studied mechanical engineering in university. Um, and I think because I'm an engineer at heart, and I love that stuff. Uh, I traveled for a year after university with an, in an old RV with my buddies and we skied and surfed and the West Coast and so on. And that's also when I fell in love with the West Coast uh, of Canada, obviously, because I'm from the East Coast. Um, I landed after that in a consulting engineering career, totally by accident. It's certainly not what I was hoping to do, but I was out of cash and I needed work. And I guess I was pretty good at it because I was getting quick promotions. The money was good. So I did four years of an apprenticeship under one of the largest engineering companies in North America. And as soon as I was done with that and I had my stamp, I left and started my own company. And my focus was on building engineering, HVAC systems, but really around sustainability, geothermal, solar thermal, and so on, energy efficiency studies for anything from monster homes, like 10 million plus, to schools and hospitals, basically the whole gamut. Um, within three years of building that company, I sold it to a larger mid-sized engineering firm that wanted to move into both the office, my headquarters, in, which were in Kelowna in British Columbia, as well as Nelson in British Columbia. So I, I, I exited that business because fundamentally, I didn't like consulting engineering. I liked the sustainability part of it, but I didn't yeah. like selling hours for a living. I've always wanted to have a scalable business that I could grow and that could thrive and, and sustain and keep growing without me. And when you're in the engineering consulting world, it's like the architectural world. It's really much about you, yourself, your hourly rates, and the more money. The only way you can make more money is hire more people to charge more hours, uh, which was not the type of business I wanted to be in for the rest of my life. So um, when I sold that business, I spent three months sailing the West Coast of British Columbia as a break. Um, and, um, and then Mike invited me to join um, his, his budding company at the time called Leadtown, 
which will explain a bit how we how we met. Um, I have a strong passion for flying, so and that's what how Mike and I met, and he'll talk about that. But uh, I, I paraglide, so I fly very light aircraft that fit in a backpack, and and we met on top of a mountain, <laughs> and became fast friends. So and now my role, I mean, I joined in 2015 Jetstream, which at the time was called Leaftown, and I'm the COO. And that means a whole lot of things <laughs> in a small company. I do B2B sales. It's not my primary focus, but I do a lot of business sales, which B2B is kind of my natural inclination because of my history with consulting where you had long-term relationships with clients. Uh, I do, I kind of manage the tech team. I'm not the CTO, but I've, I've grown the tech team anyways. The idea is always to manage until somebody can lead it. And so now we have great leadership in the tech team. So I, I do whatever needs to be done in the business, I guess. I, I pick up the loose ends and I, and I turn them into something as best as I can. I'd say that's my journey and that's what I do in the business now. That's so awesome. So for I'm, now I want to get Mike because you meet this guy at the top of a mountain with a paraglide and you're just <laughs> like, yep, we're going to bring this guy into what we're doing. He's like, we're on the same level, literally, in altitude. Um, I'm just <laughs> curious to hear your, um, your thoughts from the beginning of the journey together. Yeah, well, thanks, Will. I mean, not, not dissimilar to Emmanuel. I'm an engineer. I've always loved finding out how things work or taking them apart and trying to make them work better. Um, and I got involved uh, engineering in the, in the communications, uh, telecommunications uh, in the mobile phone sector and then um, in the internet sector. So I was uh, basically my first business in England was selling um, mobile phones over the internet. Um, and I started that in 99. So that's a chunk of time ago 22 years ago and uh, we grew that very quickly in the space of four years and were acquired by one of the largest um, retailers of mobile phone uh, phones in in Europe just because they were very good at retailing but they just didn't have the skills to be able to be successful at selling online and and so really sort of perfected my I guess passion for delivering uh, great product great service um, and a great experience to customers leveraging the internet. Um, and at the time, you know, a lot of people would use the internet for information and then they'd call and then place the order over the phone or vice versa. Um, they would call, get, it, get the questions answered and then place online. And it, would, it took, it was interesting because over the first four or five years of, of the business, we went from having different genres of customers to really by 2005, 2006, pretty much everybody was comfortable to just book online get their questions online, get their answers and, and book online. So, um, so that was a great experience, but it was pretty flat out. I mean, it was uh, a very intense time because um, the mobile phone industry was, was going crazy. And then you overlaid that onto e-commerce and, and there was as much business out there as you could go and grab. Uh, and we were in a very, very strong position to be able to sort of leverage that. And so we grew very quickly. So after that, um, I wanted to relax and chill. And I'd always had a big passion for the outdoors and being in the mountains. So I decided Canada was where I wanted to go. Um, and I'd gone to Canada a few years previously to learn to fly uh, seaplanes, float planes. Uh, I'd got my private license in the UK. So I headed to Canada and uh, I really got passionate about uh, sharing my love of the outdoors and, and um, you know, these great, destinations for outdoor activities with people. And so I ended up buying uh, condos, apartments in condo resorts, which was all the rage then. The developers would build these condo hotels and the owners would 
use them when they wanted, but the rest of the time they'd be managed by, by the hotel. So um, very enthused about that. And I thought, well, I can just, you know, use, uh, use those units when I'm there and buy and sell them. And, and that was it, pretty much hands off, wasn't planning on getting involved in rental management. But obviously then 2008 hit and uh, all of the rental guarantees and everything that I've been promised by the developer um, ceased to exist. And I was left holding several units in a resort that was actually gone into receivership. And anyway, by hook or by cook, I decided there was uh, where there's a will, there's a way. And uh, no pun, the pun no, there will. I was going to say no pun intended, <laughs> right? <laughs> where there's a will, there's a way. Um, and so um, I, I came across BRBO. It's like, oh, I put these units on BRBO and I can get some customers and make some revenue and um, sort of service my units there. And so that was really, uh, I think my first uh, VRBO advert was uh, October 2008. So literally within, a, within the aftermath of the financial crash. And then during the course of 2009, 2010, bookings kept flowing in. Um, and then the unit came out of receivership because a property management company came in to, to run it um, and finish the development, et cetera. Um, but then they started knocking on my door, said, well, you can't put your, your rentals in your own unit anymore. Um, They've got to go in at the top, you know, at the resort level. Um, but we'll give you access to all the units and we'll give you a wholesale discount price. So essentially I got I got uh, access, instead of having access to eight units, I got access to over 200. Um, and all of those were very similar because obviously there was just a one bedroom, a two bedroom, a three bedroom. And all of the uh, the volume of units was just sitting behind those different three types. So I could have three adverts on VRBO and I could basically rent them uh, as long as there was availability, I, I could rent them. So that's really what got me into the property um, management side, really just needing to take care of my units. And then by doing that, um, being given like wholesale distribution pricing uh, for the entire inventory. So that's what I did. Um, and again, just passionate about making sure that the units were represented as well as they could be, um, making sure the guests had a fantastic time when they arrived. And generally I was in that destination where most of these units were. So I'd take them out hiking and, and do everything about sort of just sharing with them my, my passions for why I was there and just being, I guess, you know, the ultimate host. Um, so anyway, so long story short, I ended up being like a the majority um, of the revenue going into this resort of like 200 plus units was was from from my little company and i had two or three um self-employed um booking ladies that were taking the bookings for me and this thing was going gangbusters but then they decided they wanted to give me dynamic pricing so essentially as you hit certain occupancy thresholds throughout the uh throughout the hotel resort they wanted to put the pricing up so therein lie the spanner in the works because um, we couldn't feed in dynamic pricing onto the traditional vacation rental marketplaces because they were fixed rate. You had your fixed rate grid and, and that was it. You couldn't feed in multiple um, different types of pricing and thresholds, et cetera. So um, that was really the uh, recognition that there was an opportunity here. Uh, these marketplaces were only going to continue to be uh, growing and at the time uh, HomeAway VRBO as we know them were out there um, acquiring many other um, marketplace brands uh, to build out their their full HomeAway portfolio. So uh, essentially 
I decided it was time to build uh, technology. There was nothing else out there uh, in the marketplace uh, that would allow that level of integration with dynamic pricing onto the marketplace. So we built, we started building our own technology. And I guess that was the pivotal point. Up until then, I'd just been trading myself with a, you know, with a, with a couple of, <laughs> couple of team members self-employed. But at that point, it's like, okay, we're going to incorporate and we're going to, we're going to start a business because we've got a problem here that we know we can solve. Um, and that was really the start of Jetstream as, as we know it. At the time, yeah. uh, it was all about de- outdoor destinations and sharing that sort of um, experience with people. And, and so I came up with the name Leave Town, uh, which was, yeah, which I still love the name. And I think it, 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 even with post-COVID now or coming into post-COVID, I think it, it carries even more resonance. Um, and so we started building our technology. Uh, and at the time, I was in this you know, mountain town in, in the Rockies. Um, and it was evident that I needed to find some good tech people. And at the time, um, the best tech people were on the West Coast in Vancouver. So that, that again initiated my, I guess, transition from this sort of mountain lifestyle <laughs> uh, aspirational chapter in my life back to uh, starting a technology business and moving out to the West Coast. Wow. That's such a... And that, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and during that time, you know, I'd still followed my passion for flying. I'd actually even got, I even learned to, I got my helicopter license. I got my commercial helicopter license. My, my plan was originally, obviously, real estate, buying and selling and, and flying part-time. Um, but then, yeah, I don't know what, what happens, but, but that, that sort of just desire in me to build tech to solve big problems, um, yeah, that came to the surface again. And there I was back in Vancouver. Wow. That's such an incredible story. I love that, especially because it starts with, just the overall passion of like sharing your story and sharing your experiences and passion with guests, um, creating, which, uh, by the way, on the comment of leave town, I love the brand and the name too. Uh, I looked at the website, like when I first heard of you guys, I was like, dang, this is so cool. Um, so yeah, I think it's definitely relatable, especially with, uh, the post COVID world that we're about to enter. Um, so now, so that's how leave town came about. And so leave town, what was the overall purpose that you guys were creating um, that ended up making it shift to become Jetstream, you know, as it is today? So, um, so I guess, so up until I would say, I, I guess the major problem we solved, so Mike touched on the problem that we solved. Uh, initially, he saw the problem as these marketplaces don't support dynamic software yeah. rates, I guess, yet. And yet these traditional, let's call them traditional hospitality, which is the Airbnb term for condo hotels or prof- large professionally managed, I guess, assets, um, they were using the travel clicks and Synexis's channel managers or PMSs of the world and, and used to pushing dynamic rates to the booking.coms and Expedia. So we sat in between there without software for many, many years. I, I say we were, we were monkeys in the background being the software. We were the, <laughs> we were the API in the background plugging away. Um, and we were very vocal to the channels telling them that, hey, you know, we can't really integrate with you because if we do, they were built both Airbnb on VRBO. And and this is really the crux of everything we solved initially. They were built on this idea of there's only one unit of inventory. There's no concept of a room type with multiple units behind it. Uh, That's how it was in 2016 for both Verbo and Airbnb. And eventually, probably through the Expedia acquisition, that did come to Verbo. And we were one of the first companies they called and they said, all right, we have a solution. You guys want to build to it. So we built, and I think it was late 2016, we launched what at the time was the fourth multi-unit, they call it multi-unit on the verbal side, integration 
with that channel, which was a big deal for us. And then Airbnb found out about this. And Mike was at MTS and an Airbnb rep came up and said, hey, how come you guys pretty much own all the Canadian Rockies, especially Banff, which is a highly regulated market. So the average airbnb or couldn't list on Airbnb. So we were essentially owning Banff uh, on Airbnb. And we explain, you know, and this and that, and we do multi-unit. We work with all these condo resort companies. Um, and we just built this with Homeway, by the way. And they said, well, that's cool. Could you build that with us too? Um, and of course, we're like, yeah, sure. But you're going to shut down our calendar if it gets booked and so on. And they said, well, hack it. They invited us to hack it. So we came up with this clever engineering solution and they presented it to their engineering team. I can't believe this all happened. Not that, that long ago. And they gave us the go ahead. They said, okay, this is cool. You guys build it. And we built it and launched it in early 2017. We launched what at the time was, and Airbnb has confirmed this to us, the first multi-unit API integration with Airbnb. Mm -hmm. And we were the first to bridge the gap between the Synexis and travel clicks and yield planets and all these traditional hotel type channel managers uh, and Airbnb and Verbo. And it was a big blue ocean moment for us because there was no one in the space doing this. Yeah. So that's, you know, so up until that point, even then I'd say, even at that moment, we still thought that leavetown.com, our own little cool niche OTA with a mountain logo and, you know, all this West coast vibe that we love yeah. in our hearts. We thought that was the business. And it's not until one of our advisors kind of listened to everything we're doing and said, you know, guys, your product is not leavetown.com. It's actually this backend API stuff you guys are building. And for both of us, I'll always remember that moment. It's like a light switch went off in our minds. Ah, and that's where this idea of, well, we need a name for that. Because what was happening is we were calling service departments in Barcelona and Amsterdam. And then they would go check out our website and it was leavetown.com, which was this niche West Coast Canadian OTA with mountains and bears on the cover. And so there was this dissonance between, so that's when we came up with the idea, we need a, the tech and that's where the Jetstream name came as this backend tech. And we really lived for many years with both in the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, and still we do. The front end, the consumer facing is still the Leaftown yeah. and everything else. Now we're fully Jetstream. We incorporated the Jetstream name fully, fully as of last year. So, so that's a bit kind of the journey we went through and that's how Jetstream came out of it. We started as Leaftown, but Leaftown birthed birthed yeah. jet stream <laughs> no that's that's so cool and i love that because like on the hotel world you already touched on it like you know the travel clicks this nexus all these you know softwares are able to say all right i have 25 one bedroom river facing rooms i have 20 non-view king bedrooms and then all you have to do is create one listing multiply it by you know the certain amount um which is Super simple, and it saves you a lot of time, right? As you, as a yep. host, that you just create one, you make a couple changes, and then you add the the multiplier to it. Uh, for vacation rental, especially in the multifamily unit, I think that's super important. That like, because you guys were probably in the beginning before you even created this solution was creating a listing, copy paste, copy paste, copy paste, and I had to redo it all over and over and over and over and over again. Um, so just the amount of time that you guys are saving with what you've built is probably just the most thing which then probably was able to give you guys jet stream what it is um, because I can't imagine just creating so many listings back and forth back and forth yeah well we actually never really did the whole duplication of listings in the back end uh, we were lucky that you know we grew up in the verbal pre uh, transactional world where you paid your listing fee and so we we're paying for platinum listings I think it was two grand a year 
and and as, and so we essentially we wouldn't take we would not transact on platform we would transact off platform and they're oh. okay with that because we're paying our yeah. yearly fee yeah. and it's only when everything was forced transactional that that kind of broke our model mm. and we screamed loud enough that eventually home away said okay we got a solution build to it and and everything flowed from there but there's many advantages of having one listing representing multiple units and one of the big one is you're concentrating your reviews on one listing mm. on these platforms because unlike booking Expedia you can't pay to appear higher on these on this right it's a meritocracy so yeah. and the reviews is a big part of that that's true no i didn't think about that so what are you guys doing so what has birthed from you, know, you said leave town birthed uh jetstream so what is jetstream now birthed and created as its own you know api solution uh, on top of this so it sounds like you guys are because you're in the sectors of both short-term rentals whole home rentals multifamily, and resorts if i'm not mistaken yeah, we have a we have a very broad range of about fifty thousand doors under distribution. I'd say ninety plus percent of that is multi-unit, so it's a it's a room type type of distribution. And I think our average rooms per room type is eight or nine throughout the business. Um, and that's kind of what we that's our lane and one we've really owned, and I'd say probably are the best. I would think at 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 that. Uh, but we also have customers that have large multi-unit customers who also manage keys and they've given us keys along the journey the likes of Vail resorts even and, and some of the large french property management companies so we have these big ten thousand euro a week uh yeah. <laughs> cottages in the french alps and so that's the breadth of it and we also have small boutique hotels that have some kitchens and some units and some rooms out kitchens so really yeah it's, it's a broad type but really so far our our, our really our focus has been on the multi-unit but that's expanding now. The tech we've built supports both. I think the multi-unit is harder to support than the keys. Yeah. So we've kind of we started with the most complex and we're going the other way now a little bit. Yeah, work with the most complex and get into the easier stuff. <laughs> exactly, it's easier that way. <laughs> yeah. Start start out with the headache instead of ending with the headache. I think that's yes. a, a good solution. Well, Mike, I now you you've got this company. You got these two separate companies and entities. And I, from what I hear from a little bird that you guys sold it um, prior to COVID, right? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> as Emmanuel was saying, when we, when we got this sort of, I guess, blue sky moment with, with Airbnb, we, we raised some money that was back in uh, 2017 and went gangbusters to, to roll out and um, start really signing up more partners in inventory, both in the States and then also in, uh, in France, uh, well, in Europe, uh, mainly in a lot of inventory in, in France. And um, so during sort of 2017, 2018, we were, we were going for growth because we knew there was a, a big opportunity there. And at the time we were the only people that could really bring on um, or, or connect multi-unit dynamic inventory uh, onto both Airbnb and um, VRBO. So, yeah, we, we went through typical growth, you know, um, and burn, burning more money than we would ever burn. But we were, you know, we had a we had a, a plan, we had a vision, and we were delivering business. Um, few things were did didn't go quite to plan as, as they do when you're in growth mode. Um, and at the time, um, there was a few things changing in the industry. There was talk about um, obviously Airbnb going to a host only model and potentially. Um, at the time, Expedia had acquired uh, Home Away, and we didn't know how those listings would feed through because potentially um, a lot of our partners were already on Expedia and they were using us for Verbo. So 
would they still use us for Verbo or would their Expedia listings get pushed through? Anyway, so long story short, there was an opportunity for us to be acquired by Red Awning um, in 2018 and they just raised a big chunk of money. And uh, we thought, well, that's cool. You know, Red Awning's based in California. Uh, it will give us the next, next, I guess, our next booster rocket to take us further uh, into the, the, the next uh, sort of stratosphere stroke orbit. And so we done the deal. Um, and within three to six months of the deal being done, all of that hard work we'd done in terms of going out and signing up business in the US and Europe, et cetera, all of that came online. And um, so without really any benefit from us selling the business, our business trebled um, in the space of like three to six months, you know, um, which was which was super fun, but at the same time, somewhat bittersweet, you know, because the business had really been acquired based on our, where our business levels had been versus where they were going. Um, and and with as when you're acquired by another business, there's always different dynamics. You know, you enter into a new relationship, there's different personalities and there's different um, I guess, genres and, and um, values. Um, we were very product-centric. We were very tech-centric. We were very partner-success-centric. Um, so, you know, there was different different dynamics at play, um, but at the same time, our team was focused and, and we were growing and we, we tried to remain on our path and, and not get too distracted because we knew that we had a product that was working. We had great momentum. And, and I guess all the, the back of my mind, it was niggling that, you know, probably we shouldn't have necessarily sold the entire business um and what are the opportunities um you know could we get a chunk of the business back and, and share that amongst key staff in terms of further options etc uh, or could we even raise money to buy the business back um and so at the end of uh, 2019 uh we even yeah we were out there potentially talking to a few different investors and and uh different finance institutions about potentially raising money to buy the business back. Uh, and of course, then we got into Q1 of last year uh, and COVID hit. Um, at the time, uh, we were in London at the Short Stay Show. Um, and obviously everything hit the fan. We were the last, yep. I think, well, Short Stay Show was the last uh, actual show at the Excel Center in London before everything hit the fan. And so we, within three or four days of that finishing, we, we had a conversation with the guys in San Fran and said, look, it's tough over here in Europe. Things are changing. And they said, oh, no, it's fine. The domestic market in the U.S. will survive this. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then literally within 48 hours, um, Mr. Trump had, had you know, put the international flight ban in, in place. Yeah. And, and, and literally within the following, like, 10 days, it was just a roller coaster because suddenly all the shutters came down, all the flights got canceled, everybody canceled. Um, and there was this huge outflow of cash. Yeah, from our business and from, from our parent company's business. And not only was the cash going out, but obviously liabilities were going up and nobody knew what was going on and how long this would last and how, how bad it would get. Um, but it was looking like things were going to get much worse. Yeah, before they got much better. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and, at the, and, and literally within, I, I think within, um, within a week of, of really, you know, that, I guess, big uh, sort of chaotic flight cancellation, everything else, Red Awning said, look, you know, uh, we've got challenges here, uh, as, as you do, as you're noticing with insolvency, uh, you know, just cash and cash going out, et cetera. Um, and they, they asked us to obviously lay off uh, the majority of our team, uh, which, you know, essentially where we were, we were laying off 30, 30, 30 people out of 35. So that's pretty much your entire team. 
uh, which was really tough, but obviously everybody could see that coming. It's like, okay, we've got to hunker down and ride this storm out. Uh, but then the following day, literally within 20 hours um, of laying everybody off, we were told by, uh, again, our parent company that, you know, this is not survivable. You've got to basically terminate everybody and we've got to, you know, we've got to basically get rid of our liabilities. Um, so that's what we did. Um, and then over the course of the following week or two, um, you know, essentially a small group of us, Emmanuel, myself and three other team members were tasked with winding up the business. So essentially shutting down the business, not really even putting it in a hibernation mode, um, really shutting it down. And I had, you know, the European business was under my personal name and because I hadn't yet been changed over. So I was basically dealing with lawyers trying to wind up what, what at the time was actually a very good business because the tech had been built and paid for. We had great partnerships and all of our staff had been paid off. They'd been paid off with their right severance and their right level of holiday entitlement, et cetera. So essentially the business as a, as a core asset was, was, was a good asset, you know? And, and we knew that given time and bearing in mind, we didn't really have any monthly burn because everything had been paid for and uh, you know, the team had been terminated. Um, you know, we could hold the business and, and, and just hold it and bring it out the other side once things recovered. Um, and so really in the midst of that whole, um, I guess it was the end of March, beginning of April, uh, with everything sort of about, you know, businesses going, being wound up and travel not coming back. I, I basically tendered uh, an offer to say, look, we'll take, we'll take the business back with all of its liabilities, uh, which, and there were still significant liabilities with still refunds to go to guests and, and, re and payments to our partners. Um, so we managed to get the business back for, um, yeah, relatively insignificant amount um, by just taking on the liabilities and, and just, you know, just basically it was like a, a hot butter through a, uh, <coughs> a, yeah. a, a nice lump of butter. And, and we just sort of severed this thing and it just came away smoothly. And, and you know, I made the offer on uh, Easter Friday or Good Friday. Um, and by the Monday after Easter Sunday, so like three days later, we had heads of terms and within two weeks, we owned our business back. Um, yeah. And 100%. So was, yeah, and so yeah, it was just bizarre because there was all this noise going on globally, you know, and then we just, we just went in there and just, and, and just, yeah. And, and for them, it was just one less pain point, you know, they weren't having to worry about potential further liabilities and, and, um, you know, I guess, um, Diff different legal um, obligations, yeah, when you own a company, um, if, if you can't meet all those obligations. So we basically took those obligations on um, because we knew the business, we knew our partners, and we knew where, uh, we knew that the market would come back. Yeah, yeah. so. I, I, I should interject here to say that um, before we did this, <laughs> I, because obviously, you know, the other option was to not take over the business and let it goes insolvent and then potentially look at buying it back from the ashes, right? And you just buy the assets, but you've eliminated the debt. That didn't sit well with Mike uh, at all and myself either, both of us from an integrity perspective. Yeah. You know, these are personal relationships we have our customers and the guests. Um, and we just, that didn't sit right to do that. But before we signed on the dotted line, for me anyways, because uh, I'm a bit more risk averse uh, naturally, I called some of our larger creditors and I basically said, uh, so here's the situation. If we don't take this business back, you'll get 10 cents on the dollar. Mm -hmm. And that's it. If we take the business back, we can send you 10 cents on the dollar day one, but then we'll need a payment plan over a few years to pay you back. Mm -hmm. 
And what I'm trying to understand is if we sign on the dotted line, will you sue us day one to make sure you get as much of your money on day one? Or will you work with us in partnership on this? Because I don't want to sign my name on a dotted line to be sued in the first week we take it back. <laughs> uh, that was what I needed to, to verify. And across the board, uh, yeah, pretty much across the board, 99% of conversations were, were, you know, hey, this is tough times for everybody. We're all in this together. We love our partnership. And, you know, you can count on us to be there with you. And we'd love to keep doing business together, which wow. was a really, really heartwarming moment yeah. through everything we're all going through at the time. No, that's incredible. Yeah. I, I, I remember because I was at the short, short stay show with you guys, not with you. Technically. We didn't know each other then. Yeah, we didn't know each other <laughs> then, but we were all there. And I remember um, uh, a couple of the, or uh, Corinne uh, from Breezeway, her and I were both like scattering like, all right, this is the last flight to the U.S. It's $1,200. I think I'm going to get it. And, like we, we were all both <laughs> yeah. like both at that point and things were a little intense. And then um, getting home, you're 100% right. I think everybody, when we all saw that outburst of cash, you know, um, for us, we had a property that lost 125K in just like a matter of a couple of days. Um, wow. So it was just like, so I, I get that reference of when you guys were probably like, oh my gosh, but it's kind of a good thing. Like for at least the entrepreneur side of me is like seeing that you guys were able to really say, okay, this is something that wasn't just a, let's build a business to sell it. This was a, let's build a business to really bring a service and some, like, like you guys said in the beginning episode, true hospitality, exceed expectations, create a solution for a real problem that's in this industry, especially for something that you guys both really like whether it's travel and being outdoors and building connections and communities with people and teams. It's, it just, it shows that entrepreneur, uh, spirit, that drive that I love that Emmanuel, you're like, all right, I'm going to make sure nobody sues us really quick, um, before I take this jump. But I, I think that still goes into play of just the, the, that's a baby you guys pretty much have built and, and to, um, you know, especially a, a one that did pretty well, it sounds like after, you know, all the, all the, um, things were said and done that you guys were able to still, you know, come out on top. Um, so I think that's pretty incredible. Just a story that not, I don't think we've ever heard, um, at least in the vacation rental and hospitality space that, and that not that I've heard, I'm pretty young. So maybe, I, maybe I just got some reading to do, but I, <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think it's just super inspirational on the entrepreneur side. I'm kind of curious when you guys were going through that, obviously there's like the back end legalities and the things like that you have to tie up and the lawyers and all this certain stuff. But what was that process like for you guys were you guys, I'm assuming Mike, you were in London and Emmanuel, you were in Canada still. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So being you know that far apart from each other and going through this process and talking with partners and talking with clients and all this stuff, like what was going through your head as entrepreneurs, as business owners that really built something uh, legitimate and that you guys were about to buy it back. Like I'm kind of curious on, your overall thinking and everything. Sure. I'll, I'll start if that's okay. Um, interestingly enough, I still haven't even seen Mike since that short stay show, which is completely (laughs) wild nowadays that we can run businesses so remote. Uh, but personally, I don't think I'm super proud of my initial reaction uh, as an entrepreneur. My initial thoughts were actually against taking the business back. And that's the part I'm not very proud of. Uh, I think I was fearful at the time, you know, Warren Buffett is one of my greatest heroes, be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. Well, I got fearful and I couldn't see past that fear initially. So I actually advised against taking the business. And I think it was both from the fear perspective, but also I think, you know, the last 18 months Mm -hmm. working uh, under the parent company, 
were not that fun. And yeah. it's not against so much the parent company. When I sold my first business, I spent three years there and I also didn't have fun. I think I've proved that I don't like working for other people at all, basically. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, 18 months of not so much fun. We'd lost some team members because there was not the growth happening anymore. Things had gone stale and this is pre-COVID. So there was a bit of staleness there. And then I was fearful and I thought, no, this is not great. So that's, that's, that's what was happening in my brain. Uh, and then it really, so it really took and all the kudos to Mike for his dogged British tenacity and perseverance <laughs> to really take this through and make the deal happen. Um, and, and I think then when I saw that it was really like Mike was making this happen with or without me, uh, I, I, you know, and then maybe finally a little bit of credit that I did switch on pretty fast at that point and, and saw the opportunity for what it was, uh, but I wish I'd seen it earlier. Um, and yeah, I jumped in with both feet and what's been a super wild, exhilarating and fun journey with a lot of challenges initially, obviously, as you can imagine the first few months and all the negotiations with the creditors. Uh, across the, you know, in Europe as well as North America and so on, but that's all resolved now, and obviously things are going well. So, but it was really Mike, to his credit, that had the boldness and the vision at the moment to pull the trigger. Dang, I yeah, I, yeah, I, like I, it leaves <laughs> me it, like it leaves me in like a point that like this is real stuff. Like we hear all these stories, and granted, like I'm not guilty, but I, I'm as a podcaster, we talk about all these certain things when it comes to building a business and scaling and doing these exciting things, but to hear, hear the realness of when it gets, you know, excuse my language, shitty, like when it gets really, you know, yeah. to the point where you've you lost a team that you've built relationships with, you, you know, we've lost industry that we love in a lot of certain ways. Um, granted, like it's not completely dead, but at the time when you're not able to travel and you're not able to host and create experiences and moments, and that's something that you guys drive for in creating solutions. Yeah, like that's, I, I I don't know. I just think it's it's rare that we hear stories that of like the genuine like back end behind the scenes. Um, so yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. So uh, Mike, what, what for me it's a bit like deja vu because if you think about two thousand eight, you know, I'd had all this money tied up in real estate. The market crashed. Yeah, and like, what was I going to do? Was I going to walk away from it, or was I going to find a way to 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 create a business opportunity out of it? You know, and Jetstream came out of that. You know. And then we build Jetstream up and then COVID comes along. And then, yeah, and then we, you know, then we, we got it back. So it was, it was just, it was, it was quite surreal. Yeah, it really was. And I was just doing this from a little Airbnb in the countryside in England, dealing with lawyers in San Francisco, dealing with lawyers in Vancouver and, and dealing with Emmanuel, you know, and it was just, it was bizarre what you can do remotely, you know, yeah. um, it, it truly was. And, and then, um, fantastic, you know, uh, uh, Canadian government came up with this wage subsidy where you they basically cover three quarters of, of somebody's wage, you know, and, and so that enabled us to get pretty much 50% of our team back, um, you know, within four to five weeks um, of, of getting the business back, you know, so, uh, and that will happen during, in, you know, we completed the deal 28th of April, uh, it, we we started the deal on, on the, on the 12th, we completed on the 28th. So literally within two weeks, we've got the business back. Wow. Um, and then, and then obviously a lot of conversations that, that Emmanuel had just, yeah, incredible uh, amount of work that was, that was going on there. Um, and then we got our team back and, and literally from, from the end of May, we had, we had our business back, you know, wow. and up and running. And, and June was a strong month because obviously there was a little bit of a, a recovery wave there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just been, it's been, yeah, it's been the most exciting ride um, in the middle of one of the most challenging global, um, 
you know, events, you know, that we're all going to remember for the rest of our lives. And yet, yeah, it, it, so it, it, the whole dichotomy of the thing is is really um, yeah, interesting. And I, I'm just grateful for having the, the foresight and I guess just, yeah, this tenacity to recognize it and make it happen. Because shortly after that, um, obviously all the PPE checks started flowing yeah. uh, in, in the US, you know, so if we'd have left it another week or two, we, we probably wouldn't have had that, that window of opportunity um, because, you know, things were getting back and funded again. Yeah. So here we are. Yeah. <laughs> and then we're, we're, we're now, even though we're not really truly out of COVID, we're back to pre COVID levels. Um, you know, we've had a, a record month last month, February was up on last, uh, on, on last February. Um, and we've got great momentum and it's amazing to see you know, the amount of momentum we've got just with domestic travel, whereas traditionally a big part of our business was international travel. Mm-hmm. No, that's, that's really true. And I, I'm just curious more kind of back on the entrepreneurial thing. Uh, what, what are you guys excited about now? Like what's, what, obviously you're hitting records now. So like, this is a sign of, of, of good things happening and especially in the industry. Um, so with Jetstream, I, I can sense that, you know, there was a set that, that moment of, okay, what do we do? And then from that moment of what do we do to, okay, we're going to get it back. We're going to build, we're going to re pretty much rebuild the empire that, you know, once had quote unquote fallen. Um, and now that you guys are in this mode, what kind of life has that given you guys? That's giving you so much excitement for making Jetstream, not the Jetstream that it was, but a better version of what it was to, to sustain this new, I guess, shift in the industry now that with the domestic travel, high experience, you know, I guess that old leave town um, brand is now coming out because everyone's wanting to kind of get out a little bit more spacious, um, something that they're not used to, um, especially with, you know, big crowds. Like I'm just kind of curious, has this brought a new life to, to what Jetstream represents? Oh, completely. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, first of all, as Mike's saying, it's super exciting. Uh, every day I pinch myself. So even though demand for us, because we've been primarily in the condo, world, which hasn't done as well as the big standalone vacation rental world through COVID, um, even though our bookings have been down for the most part, except February, um, we still have been profitable because we cut a lot of costs. We really only took back about half of our team, uh, which you know, is sad for those who you know, did come back, but it's, it's been healthy for the business and it shows how much you can do with fewer staff. So it's been healthy for the business in that way. Uh, but beyond that, for us right now, moving forward, we've had ideas, right? Over the last few years, of course, Mike and I were always working together and always think, well, if it was still our business, what would we do? And where do we see the opportunity? So now it's our moment to deliver on that vision. And that vision for us moving forward is all about exclusive partnerships. What, what we've done over the last X number of years is built a bit of a playbook of core competencies, which is around, I guess, connectivity, distribution, APIs, you know, we're just a big software API middleware connecting various channels, both supply distribution and, and other tools. So that's the technology competency, but we also create content, manage content, curate content for our partners, because most of them don't know how to write Airbnb friendly type content. (laughs) So that's another big part of our bucket of competency. And then the final one is guest comms. We handle, we're open 24-7. We handle all guest communications on behalf of our partners. Even the likes of IHG and Vail Resorts, very large companies that have their own call centers, they're not geared and tooled to deal with the Airbnb and Verbo type uh, social quote-unquote guests or marketplace. Mm-hmm. So those are a core competency. But what we found through our data is when we control the, the, the listing or the inventory exclusively, the performance of that listing relative to our non-exclusive inventory is 10x. 
which is a huge difference. Yeah. So just following the data basically. And now for us, it's all about finding exclusive inventory uh, partnerships, which means we do, we control the, the last unit of the calendar. We control the pricing for the unit. Uh, and really we allow our partners to replace what historically have been or would be internal fixed costs in staffing and computers and vacation pay and 401ks and, 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 and they outsource that to us entirely on distribution on all channels, including their own channel, their own website, which we, we can power for them. Um, so, which means less risk for them when there's reductions in demand, such as COVID. Now that's a pretty severe reduction in demand, yeah. <laughs> but even seasonality introduces fluctuations in a yearly demand, plus all the headaches of having staff and manage them. So that's what we're delivering, I guess, for our partners moving forward. And that's the technology we're building. And that's what we're very excited. And, and I actually have a few examples for you of Perfect. this, oh, because awesome. we're not just dreaming of this. We yeah. actually are doing it, uh, even though it's kind of early stages in these types of partnerships. So we have a partnership with a real estate developer. He's a Canadian guy. And he built a hotel in Mexico called Florence Sayulita in Sayulita, Mexico. Mm -hmm. He's a real estate developer. He's not a hotel guy. He doesn't want to have a hotel company. He just wants to build assets that will return income. Yeah. So he's outsourced his entire distribution on all channels, all guest comms to us in a white label fashion. So we're actually representing his brand in the world. The consumer doesn't even know there's this Jetstream white label solution in the back end that's providing all of this. Um, and the guests show up and they meet the onsite guy. So, and, and so he's taken a big part of what would be fixed costs and just outsourced it. So that's one example. And, and that's like these real estate developers wanting this is a good example. Uh, another example, which we're seeing very interesting traction. So we're obviously trying to follow where the traction is. Uh, and we have two examples of this, one on the East Coast and one here in, in Canmore in our hometown of, as a company. So it's kind of bringing a lot of things full circle is real estate brokers. They sit in the middle of the transaction and oftentimes they create a good relationship with the buyer of the unit. And, and this is for leisure destinations. Mm -hmm. So the buyer is buying a second home. They want it obviously for themselves, but they want it as an income producing property. And, and what we're seeing is the, and these real, real, realtors, both of them we're working with now have approached us and, and they're saying, I've got these units under management, but I'm not a property manager. I guess I'm just a good realtor and people want to deal with me. asking <laughs> me So, um, so what we're doing for them is powering, powering a new company, I guess, or a property management company for themselves under their brand, which is good for them, uh, but they don't have to do any of the heavy lifting of the technology of the scheduling, the maintenance and cleaning or, or guest comms. They're the front person. They're getting the inventory. They have the owner relationships and we're powering a white label property management company for them. Okay. We're super excited about that model. Okay. I was going to say, cause like what I was like, as a property manager myself, I'm like, man, what are you leaving them with to do? Are they just like they're now they're just the inventory getter really. Is there, they're, they're, yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. is, I, and and there's margin for them to do that. Yeah. Um, you know, and of course we also have small property managers that are looking at our solution. We're, we're exploring that world. It's a bit harder to inject, I think, our solution yeah. into existing 20 to 30 year old companies. Mm. It's possible. And, and we're in deep discussions with one company and they even have a CFO for hire that's looking at all this with us. It's just more complex than starting something from scratch, mm. obviously. Yeah. But I think we will achieve it. We will be successful in that too, but it's just going to be a bit harder, longer sales, I think. No, that's very true. I was gonna say, well, I'll give you, give me a call when you guys uh, do get that figured out because 
I'll be on the first one on your waiting list there. <laughs> so I think that's what's exciting me yeah. and Mike. Mike, yeah. What else is exciting you? <laughs> yeah, I'm, ex- I'm, I'm actually really curious now. You know, I mean, for me, it's, I mean, I, I haven't shared this, but I've been completely nomadic for the last two years. Um, so I gave up my my place in, uh, when we were acquired um, by um, Red Ording in States, obviously I was planning on spending more time down there and helping them with some aspects of their business. So literally I, at that time, um, knowing that I'd be in the US a little bit, I'd uh, be in the UK, uh, be in uh, Europe with our team in Europe. So literally, I've been nomadic for, for the last two years. So for me, the exciting thing really about where we are now is how much we are growing. And we've actually opened up a, an office now in, in the UK too. And just really supporting and, and seeing the team um, really expand and uh, I guess embrace this new vision and opportunity. And, and we've been able to give uh, everybody in the business um, you know, some, some a small sort of, uh, I guess, vested interest in the business in terms of founder shares and, and and really see them buy into the whole vision and and collectively all move in the same direction in terms of what we're trying to achieve. And, and the momentum we're getting, and I think even as we come out of COVID, there's going to be an even increased level of, um, I guess, recognition for what we do. And that this whole hybrid of, of the full service solution on the tech and, and that hybrid solution uh, really does enable companies to really look at their fixed costs and, and to move it to a variable cost model uh, and, and that we're then fully vested um, in a shared uh, success-driven partnership with them. Yeah, I was going to say yeah. it really plays in that flexibility um, trend we've been seeing with obviously with COVID. Um, but yeah. you kind of mentioned a little bit about data and what you guys have been seeing and the, the ability and capacity that you guys have to to see with with um, Jetstream. So I'm kind of curious, any particular data that you two have seen in the world, um, maybe more specific to North America, um, but even anything that's maybe not being covered because I think you, with the amount of data that you guys probably have on the back end, uh, you're probably starting to see a lot of different stuff. And especially Emmanuel, you said, you know, the companies that partner with you and eventually just hand off, you know, the solution and you're able to manage everything on the back end, rates, calendars, communication, all that stuff, cleaning, maintenance, whatever, that you're able to 10x their their return compared to to, to most. Um, So I'm kind of curious, what are you guys seeing on the back end that is really going to help maybe even any type of, you know, management or type of hospitality business to in the recovery stage of, of what we've experienced this last year? Yeah, on the 10x, if I can just clear, expand on that a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Mo- again, most of our partners at this point are these larger resort management companies and, and operators and so on. I guess their uh, level of obsession uh, on the quality of their content is not because it's such large scale, is maybe not as good as it needs to be in order to perform really well, especially on Verbo and Airbnb that are still very guest-centric platforms, right? When, when you're saying content, are you talking like the copy, the pictures? Yes, the, okay. the pictures, Perfect. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll we'll get, we'll get start working with a new condo resort or condo hotel, and they send us just terrible photos. Yeah. And, you know, it, this is so simple. Nothing that I'm going to say here is going to, I think, uh, you know, blow anybody's mind here. But And we reach out and say, hey, these photos are really, really bad. They were like taken in 1997. Can we have new photos, please? Or could we send a photographer ourselves? Uh, and the answer is usually no. They're on a fixed photography cycle, uh, very close to. So just that is, is when we control the inventory, we're fanatic. 
because that's our job. That's all we do is distribution and marketing on these platforms. And we get paid only when there's bookings. So we make sure that those photos, we work with the best local photographers and yes, we spend the money to make it happen. So that's one example. And then the other part is usually pricing. A lot of, again, these larger operators are still running heavy fixed cost models um, and their pricing is oftentimes way out of whack, at least with Airbnb and, and Verbo, because you know there's a lot more rent by owner on these channels that don't have the big business frameworks to support. So it's the combination of the content and the merchandising and then the pricing. And, and we feel that when we're in control of both, um, we, we set the pricing both through software tools and so on to be much more in line with the platforms. And we make sure we're obsessive about the content. So that's the 10X that we've seen. Um, and that's how we achieve it. Uh, and of course, we haven't seen 10x everywhere, but we've seen 8 to 12x across a few properties uh, where we have, sometimes we work with both a exclusive unit and in the same building, we work with non-exclusive units and we can see the performance difference, uh, which is a good test. Uh, and then I think, I don't know if I have anything groundbreaking in data, but obviously, you know, you, you heard we've had the best February ever that just passed. That seems to be yeah. across the industry. Uh, good news. Uh, Mainly USA at this point for us, 70% of our, of our massive, we, we blew three sales records that dated to 2018 and 2019 in the last three weeks. We, we blew by them. Uh, and that's 70% US and 30% France. Wow. So and thank are, you to the US. Are booking windows increasing or are they? Well, I was going to talk about okay. that. Yeah, booking yeah. window is significant. Well, it's starting to increase again. But I'd say up until a month ago, our booking window, like our, our historic booking window was 30 to 60 days. It fluctuated in seasonality, obviously. Um, and then the lowest we hit was in September when we reached 12 days. Mm. And I would say up until a month ago, we were not that far from that. We were running, we'd enter the month at a deficit and then we would blow into profitability during the month, which yeah. is crazy. So we were just running like at a two to three week in front of us. Uh, and now uh, we're getting a lot of bookings for the summer, mm-hmm. April, May, um, and the summer. So that's very, very positive. Yeah. Big, yeah. big sign. I love yes. that. And, and also Airbnb, Verbo used to be a two to one, and this is a few years back, but two mm-hmm. to one over Airbnb. So for the same listing, we'd get twice the revenue on Verbo than we did on Airbnb. Mm-hmm. Again, a lot of our inventory is higher end condo, two, three bedroom, nice stuff. Uh, and now Airbnb surpasses Verbo, especially since COVID. Wow. We've had a stronger growth for us on Airbnb than Verbo. Why do you think that is? Because like for me, the Verbo is always the main channel for those nicer, higher end. Not, no, and no offense to anybody listing on Airbnb, yeah. but like usually Airbnb, you get like that like apartment above a garage or maybe that shared, you know, whatever. Um, it, it, yeah. So I'm just kind of yeah. curious. I, I don't know because they've cut their marketing spend. So my guess is the whole, the verb, you know, I, I, or the noun. I rented an Airbnb. I rented yeah. an Airbnb. I mean, the number of times I've heard this, especially before, but in COVID, it's all people rent. Yep. They don't say, oh, I rented a hotel. Yeah. It's I rented an Airbnb. And I'm guessing more and more people are going Airbnb. Maybe people that have never used it before. I don't know. It's hmm. my guess. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, Mike, yeah. how about or yeah, Mike, how about yourself? You uh, do you see anything on your end where you're like, oh yeah, this is good. This is good. I mean, I think one good thing that's come out of um, you know the pandemic and the travel and hospitality is is you know cancellation um, terms and, and uh, you know obviously we're hearing that in the flights. You know, flights are removing their flight flight change fees and that sort of thing. You know, and we're definitely seeing again because we've been dealing with the larger operators that. 
the cancellation terms haven't always been as friendly um, as potentially what Airbnb have been driving for, you know, uh, individual owners to be putting on their, on their platform. So we've definitely seen a big shift, I think, in terms of everybody understanding now that people want um, flexible cancellation terms and they, they want the ability to change their dates and they don't want to be charged for it. And I think that that is something that I don't think, uh, that I, I think is something that will remain in place in terms of much better uh, booking terms and cancellation conditions, both for accommodation as well as for flight. So, I mean, definitely seen that, which is good. Um, but I think, no, I think there's going to be a, I mean, we, we're definitely sensing this sort of pent up demand. Uh, and I think as the vaccination, um, you know, uh, program rolls out glo globally and, and, you know, there's start to be talking of when people can actually start getting on a plane and moving around both within North America and within Europe, et cetera, we're really going to start to see some, um, international or certainly, you know, uh, cross-country um, flights and booking start to happen. And that, that's really going to be the, the, the next, uh, I guess, big, nice uh, wave that's going to come in and then we'll be back to, to international travel, you know. So it's exciting, but I think it's going to come back quickly, you know. And I think, um, you know, credits to all the pharmaceutical companies globally. I, it's incredible how many vaccines are out there now and, and the amount of um, capacity that's out there for vaccinating people quickly. So I think it's going to be a good summer. Yeah, we're, we're very, very excited and very confident. And, and to say, we're, we're looking forward to getting our messaging out there. We've just uh, created a really good uh, recruitment company, uh, sorry, recruitment PR company, uh, and they're really uh, behind our, our messaging, uh, targeting, you know, exclusive um, institutional real estate uh, partners as well as, uh, you know, our traditional market so uh, very excited about executing on our vision and really delivering against that yeah well obviously all your jet stream partners are going to be ready for this big boom in travel but do you think the industry itself is going to be ready for for this amazing uh bounce back do you guys think that there's going to be some struggling uh operators that won't be able to keep up with this demand or maybe leave money on the table yeah i would think there's going to be money left on the table for sure uh, but I think, you know, the rising tide will lift all boats. Yep. And I think a lot of everybody's going to make a good, uh, I, <laughs> I just had one of our ex-advisors reach out to me and, and saying, hey, I'd love to rent that whole hotel in Silita next February. Wow. Because, uh, you know, I want to take my whole family and this is 15 rooms. And I reached out to the owner and said, hey, I got this, you know, potential deal. Can we give him a deal? And, and the client's like, hey, I've been losing money for X number of months now this will be my moment to make money. So unfortunately I can't really give a deal. Mm. I'm mm. finally going to be making money. And I think we're all finally going to make money after crawling through glass for the last, mm. you know, while. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. Awesome. Well, sweet. Well, I, you kind of mentioned a little bit about um, marketing, but anything that you guys are really just wanting the world to know, if you could have any listener of slick talk, uh, get one message from you uh, during this episode, what would it be? I'll let uh, Mike. Yeah, I mean, yeah, sure. I mean, I think from from our perspective, we're really keen um, to to talk to you know both um, you know resort operators as well as you know institutional property owners that may not be have been in the hospitality um, sector previously, uh, but may be looking to, to 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 realize that you know there are a growing number of different types of traveler now. And we're seeing this a lot with the, the, the remote worker, people that want to go stay for a month or two, et cetera. So there's this, there's this new sort of flex, um, I guess, genre 
uh, of um, accommodation now that, that's needed to, to meet the demands of people that are just going away for whether it's a weekend, a week, uh, two months, um, or even you know six months. So I think you know we're definitely seeing that um, there's more traditional institutional property owners that want to start getting into this marketplace, and, and we're the perfect solution for that because we can bring all of our expertise, our knowledge, the technology, and our teams that are operational 24/7, multilingual. And they can, you know, we can present them with an opportunity to be up and running uh, and address this new market with really very, very little, um, you know, investment from their side, certainly no upfront costs uh, for us. And, and, and then we're partnering with them on a shared success model. Uh, and we can really bring everything that we, we know and, and the recovering market to really maximize revenue opportunities for them. I love that. I love that. I think it's perfect. Emmanuel, do you have anything that you're, if you had one message for a Slick Talk listener out there right now? I have so many messages for <laughs> Slick Talk listeners, but as it relates to this industry and this conversation right now, uh, we are recruiting. So we are looking for a revenue manager to join our team and really grow what will become a, a global revenue management practice for all of our exclusive partners uh, in-house. Uh, we're looking for a guest-facing agent or two, ideally who speaks French, and we're also looking for software developers. .net is our back end. Anybody who's listening to this who would love to have a chat, we'd love to chat with you for sure. Awesome. Well, we got a vast amount of listeners, so I'm excited to see what happens yes. for that. Um, yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for being on the show. Like, this is really one is inspirational for me to to hear you guys' stories um, and the struggles, and then the overcoming of of everything. And I think it's just it's a it's a message of hope. It's a message of encouragement. It's a message of of you know never giving up. And I I think it's something that. Uh, if not my just myself, uh, at least a couple other listeners, I know will for sure uh, relate to. So I think it's just really, really important on what you guys are doing, what you're building, and the the example that you guys have, the, the new standard you have set uh, for the industry. So I appreciate everything you guys have done and, and of course, are, are doing and being on the show. It means a lot. Thank you so much, Will. Thanks for the opportunity. It's my pleasure. Yeah, thanks, Will. It's been great coming on, and, uh, yeah, I really appreciate the opportunity. Awesome. Well, you you heard it, Slick Talkers. Go ahead, check out the show notes. Everything will be linked in the show notes below. Check out Jetstream. Check out Leave Town. Check out these amazing entrepreneurs who are just doing awesome things. Thank you so much for listening to Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We love your support and want to provide the best we can to all our listeners. So please find us online, social media, and on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Google Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast. I could not be more thankful that you chose my podcast to listen to today. Now, I also couldn't be more thankful for the amazing partners and sponsors I have for the show. We have Hostfully.com, NoiseAware.com, and Safely.com. And you can check out more about my sponsors on the Slick Talk website, where I have the sponsors and partners page. Now, thank you for tuning in and enjoy another episode.
What's up, everybody? If you've gotten this far into the episode of Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast, then you are amazing. And thank you so much for tuning in. We want to send you two places really quickly. If you can, check out the show notes and click the hospitality.fm link. Check out all of our other shows on the podcast network. And don't forget, if you have someone that you want to hear on the podcast, then fill out the guest fill out form so that way we can get them on the show. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy another episode of Slick Talk, the Hospitality Podcast.